Hello and Contramundum. Uh, today we are going to be discussing the Southern Baptist Convention. Like much of American Christendom, it is going woke. It is going woke, CJ. And so uh, on today we will have William Wolf. He'll be joining us a little bit later. He'll be discussing all the efforts to de-wokeify the largest denomination. I know there's going to be people that reply in the comments that it's not actually a denomination. <laughs> I, we know, we know, but most people don't know that, and it's way easier to just call it a denomination. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, so uh, William Wolf will be joining us uh, in a few moments to discuss these efforts to de-wokeify the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, before we dig into that, uh, how you doing, CJ? Uh, welcome to Contramundum. This is the host of Contramundum, CJ Engel, and I am the other host, Andrew Isker. How are you doing? <laughs> Good. Happy, happy, uh, happy Heritage Month. <laughs> yeah, you've had some great posts yeah. uh, this week. You started, you kicked it off. What was the first one? Uh, <coughs> Sam, Sam Francis. Francis. Yeah. yeah. What, oh, what, what better person to start with? Um, but yeah, it's it's funny. It's it's February, and uh, there's nothing else to celebrate, so we might as well celebrate our own heritage. I don't know any other you know months, you know celebratory months going on right now. So I mean, Lent is going to start soon, but that's that's the only one I know. Yeah, but this is a perfect season to celebrate our past and um, honor those who came before and, and blaze a trail for, for where we are, uh, for, for where we had been, of course, <laughs> the trail's been and, heavily tarnished. And where so. we're going. And that's where we're it. going. Yes. That's it. So um, Sam Francis Day was the first. Today is Davy Crockett Day. So happy Davy Crockett Day. Maybe give, give, give the viewers a, you know, a sneak peek for tomorrow. Who's tomorrow? Just tell us. I haven't decided. I, I wing this. I <laughs> I wake up. I wake up stressed about it. I have a good. I have a good list to go on. So oh, don't don't give us the list. Don't give. We'll I'm not going to give you waiting. the list. But I I had people you know sending me you know Germans and and friends. I was like hey, Italians. You know it's a little bit out there. Well, you're you're Italian though. So uh, I am quarter of Italian. That's true. <laughs> um, but I had to limit it, limit it somehow. Like there was like I got hundreds hundreds of people on my list. I'm like, how am I gonna? Limit this. So I'm going to make it basically Anglo-American is going to be my my boundaries. Otherwise, it's like we have so many cool people in our past and mm, in it's, Western civilization. It's yeah. so hard to so hard to choose. But uh, what a time to be alive. We can study all the greats. So well, and the, the other thing in the news before uh, we, get, we can just we can discuss this before William uh, joins us. I think he will join us about five thirty central time here. Um is that today the United States uh, did a bunch of airstrikes in Syria and Iraq? So against uh, ostensibly Iranian or uh, Iranian adjacent targets. Uh, so, what are your thoughts about that, CJ? Uh, I'm hearing this now for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I I've been working on a really cool project, so I've been really really busy and offline, um, except for my my heritage posts. But uh, this is news to me. And I think it's uh, predictable. Desperate regimes do desperate things, uh, wow. and it's and it's sad. So that's that's my take. I had, I don't even know what's going on. Is Lindsey Graham's probably happy? So yeah, exactly. Uh, there we go. This is from Rusty Shackleford. If Donald Trump doesn't make the list, I'll know they got to you. So that's uh, he better be on the list. Uh, <laughs> I have I already know who my capstone on the 29th is going to be. Oh yeah, it is the twenty ninth. We get an extra yeah, we get, uh, day today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I already know who the capstone's going to be, and it's not Donald Trump. I can say that <sighs> right, right now. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. <laughs> Podcast over. It's also <laughs> not. It's also not Desantis. So, <laughs> well, all right. Well, he'll be on the. He'll be, he, he'll be on February thirtieth. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's true. Very good. Uh, by the so by you, the way, by the way, Andrew, um, our our predictions have been completely vindicated in the sense that ron is much better now that he's back oh. in his governorship uh I know. he's he's I'm, not a campaigner he's not supposed to be a man on the national scene he's supposed to defend florida defend the border and push back against uh the democrats not just the democrats but just the entire um the whole system the, the whole the whole structure in washington and that's where yeah. he belongs so he's been great yeah, I was just uh, I was just down there in Florida. I mean, I attribute it to me being there in close proximity Part of it. to to Part him. Of it. Uh, but I mean, yeah, he he you know quits this quixotic, uh, never going anywhere presidential campaign, and immediately he tweets about deporting Ilhan Omar. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. But even the videos of him too, like he 
it's <coughs> night and day. Like the guy's so relaxed. Yeah. And and it feels like the weight of the world is no longer on his shoulders. And and you have to think, yeah, he got pushed into doing it. That My wife, uh, maybe or you know people in his inner circle. Yeah. Um, he, he never should have done it. And I mean, it remains to be seen if um, you know what his future will be. Um, I Did don't you... I don't think it's as president personally. Well, not now, but it could have no. been. Could have I, been. I mean, twenty twenty eight. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think the possibility. I mean, it's a long way off, and yeah, a lot of things could happen. But I, I just don't see it happening uh, for him at all. But that has been um, that has been one of the the you know most impressive things about him in the in the last two weeks. I mean, just you know, supporting the the border things in Texas, and of course, we 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 covered that you know last week, and a lot of it's political theater. Uh, of course. Has anything happened or were the, uh, oh, yeah, you've been in a, in a cave. Uh, no, were the, there, yeah. So the, um, there've been it, no happenings. It never happened. Nothing ever happens. Wins yet again. It always does. And I mean, other predictions that we, we had, I mean, I, I went back actually watched our DeSantis episode when he first announced and oh yeah, we both said, this is a huge mistake. Why is he doing this? He, yeah. He has no chance of winning and he's, it's only going to be bad things for him. Yeah. And, Totally vindicated, both of us. Uh, so if he only would have listened to us, I mean, I would have only taken maybe one or two million dollars of that two hundred million dollar war chest. Uh, That's just true. To tell him, Don't do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I I think uh, you know we're we're ready for hire as political consultants. Uh, whoever <laughs> whoever <laughs> wants CJ, <laughs> so you can subscribe to our Patreon, uh, <laughs> Ron DeSantis. Yeah, do we have a Patreon? <laughs> no, not yet. Oh, Andrew, Andrew's been cashing in. I, I haven't seen a dime. That's right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, going back to the, the Iran stuff, some of it is, like, you look at the political picture right now, and um, immigration still is this is the major issue. Mm-hmm. It's It's the main thing going on. And you think from this, like, cynical political perspective that, that we often have that – um, Biden has to make some other issue, or the Biden administration, I mean, he doesn't do anything, uh, but the Biden administration has to do, you know, pivot to something else and make that dominate the news and the headlines and, and all of that. Um, and so I look at it like this is probably a tail wagging the dog sort of thing. And you, and you look at the various factions. I mean, we always, we always look at the regime as though it's like purely monolithic, that they're totally in lockstep on everything, which I think is a mistake. Um, you have the the GOP faction of the regime, which is obviously very closely aligned to Israel and Israeli foreign policy interests, and so they're when whenever they're in power, um, you know, either in the White House or or when they have a majority in Congress, they're always trying to gin up war for, with Iran, right? That's that's a constant that they're mm-hmm. desperately after um, all the time. I mean, that's that's Lindsey Graham's entire career is bomb Iran all the time, and and. Mm-hmm. The dearly departed John McCain, uh, his whole career, and um, and 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 so you look at that, and it's like you if if you're in the Biden administration, CJ, right, and you know that the Republican faction of the regime is going to support whatever you do uh, with regard to Iran and Iranian proxies, right? Why wouldn't you do this just mm-hmm. to take the heat off of the immigration issue, mm-hmm. right? And so, so the question I have for you is do you think this spills over into a wider conflict with Iran where the United States isn't just bombing, you know, militias and things like that in Syria and Iraq, but rather, um, you know, bombing Iran itself? Like, is that possible? Yeah, I I don't know, man. Let's like, I think the United States knows that its reputation in the world, this is like the debate. Like it knows that yeah. its reputation is going downhill. It knows that like it, you, you're not going to get there's a lot of like dissent in NATO and other countries like that. Like a lot of our proxies are getting war weary and we've completely butchered everything in the Ukraine and, mm-hmm. and, and Russia. And I think that Iran and China like China didn't have to do anything, uh, you know, to, to to help out Russia in the Ukraine standoff at all. So I don't I don't know if we have the strength to do something. On the other hand, 
you know, there's like the Turbo America theme. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's got some credibility too. Like United States is going to go down fighting. You know, like it, it's ruined its reputation. But what else can it do? Just it's, it's a it's dying not, animal. It's not uh, going to walk yeah. away with its tail between its legs. It's going to fight to its own death. So mm -hmm. I go back and forth on this. Like is is like starting a, a new global war? Like because Iran is a big deal. Like yeah. like letting letting Israel fight with Gaza. Okay, that's you know that's that's a um, that's significant. It could be significant, mm -hmm. but it's not really like. Um, like a uh, war in the Middle East kind of thing. Like bombing yeah. Syria could be a big deal, but, but when if you are actually going to address Iran, like Iran is like one of the most important countries for the Eastern Bloc, um, for BRICS, for people mm. like that. Like Iran's a huge deal. Is the U.S. really going to pick a fight with that dog? I mean, that I can't think of a worse. I can't we think of a worse opponent except for China that they would go against. Yeah, this this comment's good from. Scott McLaughlin, uh, Iran, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia are now members of the BRICS Plus Alliance, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. That's the big picture. Iran and Saudis equal low-cost oil for India and Chinese, uh, Indian and Chinese factories. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's it right there. But I mean, that's from like a geopolitical standpoint, that would be the reason you wouldn't do it. That's like, what I'm saying. It's like stupid. It, it is stupid, but I mean, that's, that's part of the Turbo America thesis. Right is it's like a dying caged animal and that's those are the most dangerous and so they do really stupid things like mm -hmm. the the ukraine war is a really stupid thing um mm -hmm. and and it has showed a, a tremendous amount of weakness in in for, for the united states i mean even though right, it hasn't cost the united states any anything it hasn't cost the united states any soldiers i shouldn't say anything i mean hundreds of billions of dollars of aid and munitions um but it hasn't it, it hasn't um it, it's a it's a proxy war like americans haven't had to fight it and mm -hmm. and yet despite all of the aid and everything else right russia has all but won the war and and um and, and so it's it's an embarrassment to the united states uh <laughs> Andrew looks nothing like he sounds <laughs> i don't know if that's good or bad <laughs> uh <laughs> but um yeah, it's 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 an embarrassment to the United States, even though they've been able to flex this power. And really, I mean, some of the the Turbo America guys will say, "Well, the war in, in Ukraine was about is about Europe, right? And, and maintaining American hegemony over Europe, which that's been a major success. Uh, they cut off Russian um, uh, gas from from Germany and and the rest of the you know the rest of the European Union." And so that's it's a huge success, like in the short term, foreign policy wise, in maintaining this like iron fist on Europe. But uh, it's good, okay, good. <laughs> uh, but it, it is not. Um, at the same time, in order to do that, you have you you make yourself very vulnerable, and you show that you're not able to just sweep in and defeat the Russians as easily as they thought they would. Right. That, right. That's I, what they thought. I think that's the weakness right there. I mean. Yeah. Putin didn't have to do anything really. Um, no, you know, he just, he just stood there. I, I, I'm a little bit disappointed that he didn't do more. Um, but well, you I, can, you can see why he didn't. Um, he didn't need to. I mean, he's basically just bled America dry for a while. Yeah. And that's the, the, the other thing about that is, you know, it's interesting. I was, I was discussing with, you know, a, a boomer con uh, relative, you know, my family uh, that watches Fox news all the time. And, you know, he's saying to me, well, because I was, you know, again, critical of the the American, uh, you know, Russian proxy war in Ukraine. And he's like, well, we got to stop them because if we don't, then they're going to roll into Poland and then into Germany and then into France and then into the UK. And then yeah. maybe they'll even come here. And like it. And it's, it's like it's total nonsense. That's right? what we but, were talking. We, yeah. We've talked about this many times before. Like this yeah. is like the recreation of the World War Two myth, right? Like, oh yeah, it's so vital to America. Saddam Hussein was like, going to do the same thing yeah, in two thousand three. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. who's the who's the next Hitler? It's it's like it's like a, a cow they can continue to milk year after year. Oh um, yeah. Although it's funny, like I I, I hate like talking it's with my it's my younger brothers. Though. Yeah. It's funny because like I have I have young brothers. Um, One's like eight, uh, 17 and one's like 20. You know, like, so they're, they're young. Okay. There's, they're, 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 uh, zoomers. You know, they're zoomers. Yeah. They have no, like, it was hard for me to really come to, to, 
to grips with like the World War II myth, right? That's a mm-hmm. really I, I was born in the in the in 1990, right? You were born in the 80s. Like yeah, like this is it's so part of our world, our mindset. They have zero like um commitment either way. They're just yeah, every in, like every they're video just game, every movie. It's just they have about no, World War II yeah, in they, the 90s and the 2000s. They have no it, like like I like I grew up seeing Hitler as like the personification of evil on earth. And Churchill is like his antithesis, right? The yeah. ultimate good. Yeah, the angel they, of light. They yeah. don't. They're they're neutral on both of them. It's really interesting. It's, that can be really bad, right? Because they, yeah, no, yeah. they have no they have no fealty to Western civilization at all. But yeah. it could be like a good thing because the myth no longer captures their mind. So it's, yeah, they, it's interesting. Exactly. They're not going to think like, why would he? Why would he invade Poland and Germany? But <laughs> like talking to this, the, the the point I wanted to make though, um, which is interesting, and I, I want your opinion on this, is. I said, well, I, I think that's absurd and ridiculous. I mean, it's 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 the silliest thing I've ever heard. But say <laughs> it's true, right? Say that it's true, and you've got Russian tanks in Berlin and Paris and London, and they're occupied and the and they're ruled over by Putin, evil Putin. How could it be any worse than what Europe is right now? Mm-hmm. Right, you are you're totally overrun by by millions of Middle Easterners and Sub-Saharan Africans and North Africans. And they are allowed to uh, do whatever they want. I mean, they, they commit rape and murder. They, they commit terrorist attacks and get like almost no sentence. If, if any at all, uh, nobody gets deported. I mean, it, it's, it is, it's horrible. Right. Mm-hmm. And they, 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 they destroy, you know, beautiful cities and everything else. Right. How is that? How is that worse? And plus, like living under American hegemony, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the United States yeah. bombs your pipeline to get, to get gas. Yeah. Uh, if you're living in Germany and you just have to sit and take it. Yeah. Right. How would how would that be any any worse if yeah. if you were occupied by the Russians? Like, I mean, I, I was trying to get that across, and and it's like, <laughs> I don't think it would be. Well, it's I funny. Like, they I don't, don't they, so. they don't think of Germany and France, like all of Western Europe. They don't think of them as currently occupied no they're occupied by the american ideology they're yeah. occupied by the gay regime like yeah that, that's it, it, it's i have um i have my wife has her grandparents and aunts and uncles all live in in rur- like rural germany like a small yeah. village in germany and they recognize it's really obvious when you're in rural germany and you're more connected mm-hmm. to the past you recognize that you are living in foreign occupation yeah. and they know They've been living like that. So you're not allowed to publicly admit it there, but no. they've been living like that since the 40s. Um, yeah. And it's really obvious to them that we have not done, we have not been a, we have not bolstered, you know, German pride in, in itself, you know, of no, anything they're, they're that's totally been humiliated. the entire project. So, yeah, yeah again, like what is, is Russia going to make that wor- uh, worse? I, I don't think so. <laughs> no. I don't think so. No. And, and of course, they're never going to do that. They don't have the, the nobody has the, the the Chinese don't have the ability to do that, even if they wanted to. Even though they have what a hundred million man army, they they don't have the ability. I mean, just even with when you look at the Ukraine war and you just think about like modern warfare in general, um, it's it's terrifying, right? And you're not able to have you know mass formations of infantry, and you're not going to. I mean, you don't have air superiority over there. Um, and so you, you think of like uh, the possibility of a world war, it would look nothing like, you know, World War Two, where you have these huge armies clashing with each other. Right. Uh, it's it's like squad level combat, and in trenches, and everybody has to be spread up because drones are everywhere, and there's you know uh, minefields across all of eastern Ukraine. Like that's that's what modern warfare looks like. And and the other quite thing about it is like. There's still nuclear weapons and tactical nuclear weapons. So, mm-hmm. like, so like, even in the situation, like, oh, the Chinese are going to invade Taiwan, right? Well, what would the United States do at that point? They would, they would completely bomb all of those Chinese infantry divisions that are, you know, sailing the the ninety miles mm-hmm. to Taiwan, like, it, with with nuclear weapons. Like, that's that's what would happen. Um, and so, it it is a it's a terrifying prospect to even even consider, and why. Why the United States, yeah, this is a good point by Sir Dennis Eaton Hogg, um, all NATO cares about is keeping Germany and Russia from allying. The pair would rule far and wide. Yes, 100%. 
Hundred percent true. Um, it, it, I mean, not, not even just ruling, like in terms of of uh, political command, but economically. I mean, yeah. two massive economic powerhouses. <clears throat> I don't. And one I don't has see oil that. And the other doesn't. Um, I don't know if they could ally. I mean, that, that seems. I mean, eventually it, would, it could get there, but it wouldn't be an alliance. It would be like an economic partnership. Yeah, was, but like, I yeah. mean, <laughs> I think I think some sort of like significant world war. Um, like that we talked about, like with, with like Turbo America would be like all the way to the top notch if they pursued anything like that. Well, and that's it's impossible. I and mean, that's Germany. the whole point of like the Ukraine war is to drive this wedge between you know Western Europe and, and Russia yeah. because they they were gaining you know economic uh, rapprochement like mm-hmm. with with uh, with uh, the pipelines, and, yeah. and so having any economic connection between Europe and Russia is a is is had to end. Uh, mm-hmm. From the perspective of the American regime, mm-hmm. and so now, like that—that that is, um, I think the the whole the whole concept of Turbo America is 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 probably the most terrifying uh, thing. Um, and I, I look at it, and yeah, like like you, I vacillate between like Haywoods. It's just going to collapse with a whimper and not a bang, right? And uh, they maybe, had, a, yeah, I yeah. hope, <laughs> I hope so. But yeah, I, exactly. Like Turbo America is not a white pill; it's a black pill. <laughs> Oh, it's a huge black pill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But like, this is, this is what dying insane empires do. Like, imagine if, imagine if the Soviet Union went out turbo America style, like what would have happened? I mean, tens of millions dead just slaughtered is is what would have happened. And, and, or, or billions with nuclear Mm -hmm. war, right? That was the, the terrifying thing in the Cold War. And so you have a situation like that here in the United States and, um, and, um, insane leaders that are, are are far less responsible to their people than like Mikhail Gorbachev was in the 1980s. Like re- yeah. responsible in the sense that they they at least view that these are my people. I have to do um, what's in their best interest. They have no connection like that whatsoever. Right. And so that's that's the thing that terrifies me the most. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, that's a really good point. Like, imagine like imagine Russia in the 1980s opening its borders. Like yeah. that, like, you know, to, to, to inviting in like all the like all the sub-Saharan Africans or Middle Easterners, like they don't they don't think about the, the power that can be gained from destroying their own cultures mm-hmm. like we do. Like we're a suicide mm-hmm. pact, you know, Yeah, you even look <clears throat> at the Soviet Union, uh, the amount of wealth and it wasn't, a, you know, obviously they <clears throat> because they weren't wealthy, but the amount of wealth they expended on on high culture and cultural mm-hmm. pursuits. I mean, they, it was kind of a LARP in some ways, <laughs> yeah. but they 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 financed you know symphonies and ballet and, and things that were traditionally Russian, um, mm-hmm. and and Russian uh, filmmaking, which you know m- many very high quality uh, films were produced by the Soviet Union. Yeah, and 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 so they, I mean, you think about this in terms of like the civilization computer game, but they they pursued cultural victory, you know, <laughs> not not uh, like the United States was capable of doing with its propaganda machine. Um, but uh, they, they they did that because this is that was their people's heritage and culture. And well, they, that's what they, we like. But that's what we did in response to communism, right? We were yeah. we were pushing our own culture and like cultural hegemony in Europe. I mean, there's I mean that's what the entire entertainment industry was about. It just yeah. it, it got really taken over, you know, right before the Soviet Union collapsed um, by this new this new woke left. Um, like like America, the American Empire was not hell bent on its own cultural destruction no. uh, during the Cold War at all. No, and and uh, you know it's interesting thinking about cultural destruction and propaganda and everything else. One one thing, and we want to, we maybe we'll maybe we're just actually facing well. The this is this is yeah, this is related though. It's like the Perseus and Medusa, like yes, uh, like bust up with with uh, the American <laughs> Reformer article, right? It's yeah. the same thing. That's what they're talking. I mean, I I talked about this a lot on Twitter. Just like this deconstruction, this obsession with with like like a surgeon just picking apart your own culture. Um, is is com- it's a completely uh, Medusa is the victim. It's a completely unique yeah. American thing. Like yeah. no Soviet Union propagandist would have ever done that to its to his own traditions. Yeah, at all. No, the, no. Medusa is the victim here. She's the good guy, and Perseus is evil. Right. That's that's what they get from from that statue and from that Greek myth. Well, yeah, but you can get anything you want when you when you have a when you're a deconstructionist. Yeah, exactly. You could you can paint by you know paint by number with anything. And make it mm-hmm. make it be what you want. That's that's the whole point of deconstruction and 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 you know, cultural revolution in general. Um, but one of the one of the things I did want to talk about because it's been in the news. This is this is something that's <laughs> totally foreign to CJ entirely. 
is, um, you know, earlier this week, you know, right after there were some football games on Sunday, and uh, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, beat the uh, Baltimore Ravens in the AFC Championship game on a controversial call at the end of the game. And everyone believed that the game was rigged for the Chiefs because Mr. Pfizer is dating Taylor Swift. <laughs> and so, um, right, do you think, uh, do you, it, because it's a plot, because they're going to they're gonna get engaged and then yeah. uh, both mutually endorse Biden on the you know, stage of the Super Bowl holding up the Lombardi Trophy, right? That's, that's the PSYOP that's planned, right? Do you, uh, do you buy that? Do you think that's a real thing? I think that win or lose, they will be pushing Biden. And so it's not yeah. staged, but the entertainment agency is American mechanism of propaganda. Yeah. We, we do things differently here. It's all, it's all fake. Like celebrities are, are picked and chosen, crafted, yeah. put before us, and uh, the, the, the masses maybe, chase after them. That's maybe even staged. groomed, if you will. The celebrities are groomed. Very much groomed. Yeah. Uh, but the games, I don't know if the games are staged. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think they are at all. all. No. Um, no, uh, but, uh, no, it, yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing that people have to understand from this whole episode, uh, not the, uh, not our episode, but rather the, the whole Taylor Swift thing is, um, that celebrity in America is, is fake. It's not yes. real. These are not, it's not like They're she not organically organic, right. become <laughs> right. This superstar singer, uh, there's an entire machine behind that, mm -hmm. that, uh, just from the, like, there's like one guy that writes all the pop songs that you hear right, on the radio. Right, like right. one guy. That's it. One one guy that does all of them. And uh and they they choose these people and they're they're molded and and of course they know there are like hundreds of millions or billions of dollars on the line if they just go along with the system and do what the system wants them to do. So of course it's not like Taylor Swift is going to go on TV or go at one of her concerts or something and say, "You know what? I've been wrong this whole time." Donald Trump is is the only guy that can fix this. I'm mm -hmm. voting for like she, never in a million years would she ever do that. Um, even if she believed it, right? She might she personally might believe that, but no, she. I mean, I don't think she does because it's not possible because they condition these people, right. like celebrities, to to think these things. And, and I don't think she's like intellectually capable of <laughs> understanding <laughs> these arguments. Right. Um, and so, like that—that's what American celebrity is. Is um, is <laughs> uh, American celebrity is 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 totally fictitious. It's not like you know some singer is discovered. It's it's like the um, you you we had an example of this almost with that one guy. Uh, what was his name? The Appalachian guy that sang that song that that yeah. went viral. Oliver Anthony. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and it's like that. That's like one instance, and it kind of just immediately fizzled out. Right, I mean, he's still out there, I guess, uh, singing, and, but um, and and if if he ever became big, it would mean the the system got its hooks in him, mm -hmm. and they kind of already did a little bit. Like he did, who's that uh, that fat comedian that never wears a shirt? Um, I can't. Maybe in the comments, somebody will tell me. He's he's were just repulsive. Uh, like he he performed with him at some point, and yeah, and it, it it's basically like he was turned into a Yellowstone American. Mm -hmm. Icon. That that's mm -hmm. what what they did with them, and and that's what they do. That's what they always do. Is there there is no organic popular culture. Burt Kreischer. That's right. Thank you. I uh, there's a reason I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, <laughs> um, it, it's it, it it's not it's not organic in any any sense. It's all manufactured. Everything popular that you see on television is completely fake and it's made for consumption. It's made to reinforce the post war consensus. Right, that is uh, Bert Chrysler. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's uh, this. Uh, oh, Bert, uh, I can't get the, uh, I can't get that one comment uh, to load. I'm not. I'm. I'm. Uh, I got gotcha. you. I'm like a boomer with a computer. I got gotcha. you. How's um, that? Yeah, broadcast novelty screens are not culture. Culture is intergenerational, not novelties, and two live in person, not simulcast. That's true. Um, yeah, yeah so I've, I've, I've I've been trying to make this point for a long time. Like. You know, um, like That's just, why I call it pop culture. Yeah. 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 It's like fake culture, though. It's like a LARP. It's like LARPing culture. Like, yeah. like the, the products, the goods and services. That's why it's so ridiculous when people say, like, you have to have immigration because you love, you know, the tacos or whatever. Yeah, like, it's like, that's not culture. <laughs> yeah. That's like, um, it, it's almost like, 
I, mean, I saw a good uh, tweet today by by Fisher King, where he talked about you, you probably see these like sub developments all over major cities where there's a, a bunch of homes and condos and things like that, and they make like a main street in the yeah. sub development to make it look like a yeah like an old fashioned American town. And he said all the businesses fail because all of the people there are totally transient, right? They live there for a couple of years and then move out, and so they 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 want to have, you know recreate. Uh, the the culture of an American small town, but you can't cargo cult that. It doesn't. Right. It, it it that and that's what it that's what it is is a cargo cult. It's not it's not real. Like real towns have an identity. They have a purpose. They have history. They, they have a history and an historic way of life that's yeah. passed down from generation have, to generation. They have a struggle. They have something that they overcame together. Yes. Yeah. That bound them to one another. Um, absolutely. Like, I, I mean, I, I live in California. I think that whole model of, 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 uh, suburban developments was born here. So yeah. I'm completely familiar with it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the history is like, like, um, New York, West, you know, North and West of the, of Manhattan of, of New York city, but that, that's where the original suburbs were, but it, it really developed and boomed in, in California. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it is, um, it is. Uh, really depressing when you think about it that way. Uh, when you when you realize like no like that this is not how you, like you, like real community. They want to make community. We want to have community, and it's like well, you can't have that yeah. spontaneous or, or rather in a manufactured way. It has to be spontaneous and and real, right? It has to be people living together with a shared and common purpose and mm -hmm. a shared and common way of life. Mm -hmm. And you can't just you know make that happen. Yeah. Um, it looks like finally we have our our guest. Mr. William Wolf, we'll bring uh, him. You want me to add him on, or do you want to do it? I got it, I think. Okay. We'll see where he is. There he is. Okay. Hello, William. I have to move What's over. up, guys? <laughs> hey. Welcome to Contramundum. Uh, let me clear out the, the chat here. So uh, we were just uh, we were discussing, you know, potpourri and various uh, random uh, topics uh, about the week. Uh, so you don't have to comment on any of those things uh, if you don't want to. Um, do you want to comment on Taylor Swift? <laughs> no, no comment. Oh. Wow, Good. wise, wise man. This Very is why we wise. bring you on. Um, wiser than Andrew here, who brought yes. it up. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. So, we're, I guess we're gonna we're gonna pivot here to to part two. Um, but we're talking about the SBC now. Um, in particular, the law amendment. Um, William, can you just give us a background of what's happening here? And this is important too, because people are like, "I'm not, I'm not a Baptist. I'm not part of the SBC." But we we talk about this all the time on the show. Like, th if you want a thermometer to understand what's happening in American religious culture, you need to track what's happening in the SBC. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's an important for for everybody of any denomination or, or or theological background to understand what's going on here. So give us a rundown. Well, yeah, that's exactly right, CJ. And guys, thanks so much for having me on. You know, the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, home to 47,000 churches, about 14 million members. The direction of the Southern Baptist Convention, whether you like it or not, sets the direction for American evangelicalism. And I would argue sets the direction for our country as a whole, if we understand mm -hmm. that Christianity is sort of the foundational essence of the United States of America, what happens to our largest Christian denomination is going to impact us all. And when it comes to you know taking a temperature check or a wellness check, one of the first signs of a failing immune system in an orthodox confessional denomination is when they began to let go of the rope on women's ordination, mm -hmm. right? And, and now I, I said this on a tweet yesterday. I said, uh, compromise on egalitarianism always goes hand in hand <clears throat> with compromise on homosexuality, which I should have said almost always because that's a little bit more accurate. Um, we do have some, uh, you know, there are some more charismatic Pentecostal denominations out mm -hmm. there that they approach it from a perspective of women being empowered by the Holy Spirit to have a word, things like that. But what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention is we're coming at it from a deconstructing critical theory framework where we're trying to, you know, right the wrongs of the abusive patriarchy, right the wrongs of these abusive Southern racists who have kept everybody down except for the white male. And so we've seen a, a rising tide of egalitarianism sweeping over the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, it's probably been happening for at least the last decade. The last six years of leadership in the Southern Baptist Convention from our last three denomina denominational presidents who cover that time period has moved us in a leftward direction. And then one day, Mike Law, Boy Scout, 
good old, you know, small church pastor in Arlington, Virginia, looked up and realized that there were five Southern Baptist churches within a five mile radius of him who had women pastors. Mm -hmm. And that is explicitly in contradiction to our confession. So is our confession a dead letter or does it matter? And so Mike started adjudicating this issue with all the various committees. Baptists do love their committees. And he felt like he was getting a runaround. And so eventually Mike launched an effort to offer an amendment that takes what's in our Baptist uh, statement of faith, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, and embed it into our Constitution, which is in some ways perhaps a more binding document for you know mm -hmm. how churches get into the SBC and operate. And there's been great pushback from the more big tent crowd, the guys in the Southern Baptist Convention who really want us to not be Baptist, but to be general, non-denominational, egalitarian, friendly, you know, a tent so big the whole world's inside of it. But Mike pushed hard uh, over, you know, for the fall of 2022 and the summer of 2023, and we secured the first passage. Now, this amendment, because it's a constitutional amendment, requires to be uh, passage two times at a two-third majority vote each time. So we'll be heading back to Indianapolis, uh, Indiana, for our annual convention this year in June of 2024. And this is the most important thing Southern Baptists can do, which is ratify the Mike Law Amendment to you know, protect the sanctity of the pulpit and to stand on God's word when it comes to how he orders his church. Mm -hmm. So what's what's the I mean, you're you're kind of involved or you have your, um, you know, your your thumb on the pulse of the, like the inner workings and the inner politics. Um, would you say it's getting pretty nasty um, like, like how hard, how hard is this being pushed against? Well, it's, it's being pushed against very hard by let's call them the power brokers, or we could call them the managerial elites of the SBC. If you're familiar with that framework of, you know, system mm -hmm. operations with SBC, it's full of bureaucrats and managerial elites who, who sort of matriculate through the system by playing the game and their interests are not necessarily if often aligned with interest of your rake and file Southern Baptists. I saw data today that said 79% of Southern Baptist churches have an attendance of 100 or less. So that's, that's 80% of our congregation. Are just, we could call them small or we could just say normal, healthy <laughs> churches, right? But in, in the big money and the big games and in the entities, you know, these guys, they just want to keep sort of, you know, this big tent perspective going. And so the main way that we're seeing it against right now is right on the heels of passing it the first time in New Orleans, this uh, cohort, a cabal of five former presidents, including J.D. Greer and mm -hmm. Ed Litton, came down to the microphone and offered that we create a new group in Baptist life to study the boundaries of our cooperation, because our Baptist faith message uses this language that says churches have to closely identify with it. But it doesn't rack and stack, you know, how close you can identify, mm -hmm. how far you can identify, which ones you have to identify with, which ones you can't not identify with. And so mm -hmm. I, I'm convinced this whole thing is an end run around the law amendment. So what this cooperation group is studying is, you know, the history of Baptist confessionalism and cooperation. They're going to make recommendations. And my instinct says if they can come to anything that they're going to propose, they're going to try to sort of uh, triage our commitments and say, you know, these you have to stand on Trinitarianism, mm -hmm. uh, you know, believers, baptism, things like mm -hmm. that. But yeah. then here are some other areas where you can disagree with us and we'll still take your money and let you use our mission sending agencies and things like that. So that cooperation group is still working right now. They've not made any public proposals. This is just my game theory of what's mm -hmm. happening. So that's a big push. And then really what we've seen, uh, CJ and Andrew, is that there's just a lot of misinformation about the law amendment. The opponents are trying to spin it like it's intent on coming after women serving in a role like a children's pastor, you know, <laughs> right. or things like that. Now, look, yeah. this is what's so funny is these guys. Which is talk typical. Out of, that's that's how these people always frame things, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like, you know, uh, I don't think you should call, uh, you know, the children's pastor position. If it's a female, it's not an elder. You shouldn't call a pastor. Mm -hmm. But as I said in another podcast recently, I think better of my Baptist brethren. I think that if we mm -hmm. adjudicate this issue all the way out, I trust that they'll be humble submissive to God's word and, you know, take the 10 seconds it takes to retitle their positions yeah. appropriately. Um, yeah. But that's mm. where the fear mongering is really coming. They're like, well, look, I think only I think only qualified men can be elders. Only qualified men can be pastors who operate with the authority of an elder. But I don't want to kick out a church that has, you know, a mistitled position. And I don't either, but that's not really what this is about, because there are plenty of teaching and preaching and elder practicing women across the Southern Baptist Convention. 
Mm-hmm. So, what's, oh, so, ahead, the, well, so the law amendment would basically just um, they couldn't be part of the SBC anymore if they continued in this practicing this. Right. Is that what's going on? Yeah, that's right. Now, uh, as it stands, our current president, Bart Barber, argues that we don't need it because we have it in our confession and our right. process works. But right. that's just not true. Right. We do have it in our confession and it's just <laughs> being ignored. And mm-hmm. then the people who are trying to bring the cases of those operating outside of the boundaries, of our confession are being slow rolled or they're just being ignored. He points at two mm-hmm. votes we took last year in 2023 Saddleback and this uh, church Fern Creek, which had a female senior pastor for decades in that she, she like comes to the SBC annual meeting for decades. And we act like somehow we, we solved this, which I, I would say that uh, Saddleback and Rick Warren kind of forced our hand on it. If he had just been quiet, I wonder if we would actually would have kicked him out, but he made it a big showdown. But look, mm-hmm. that that that's the exception that proves the rule, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And we've got a backlog of, of thousands of these churches that practice just like Saddleback. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's happening. Right. Yeah. My, my question would be, um, how would it maybe and this is just my own unfamiliarity with the uh, language of, of the law amendment, maybe. But um, how would you go about uh, preventing, you know, the, you would you would the process where, you know, okay, they changed the, you know, head of the women's ministry from children's pastor to, uh, you know, children's ministry coordinator or something, right? They, they make that change. How would you prevent um, a church where it has, you know, Pastor Linda is now, uh, you know, who is the senior pastor of whatever Baptist church in wherever, um, and they just change her title to, Mm. where she's occupying the same office, same function, but she's just not called a pastor anymore. How would you uh, prevent that from occurring as well? Is that in there? Yeah, that's that's a fun hypothetical, Andrew. But I I think my immediate instinct would be that these people they won't do that, right? Like yeah. I can yeah. I can I I think I'd be stretched to imagine a committed egalitarian who thinks that they are operating according to scripture and and, and mm-hmm. God's word and saying, oh, well, you know what? Let me just not call myself a pastor anymore. Like that's probably yeah. part of their identity, oh, you yeah. know, like, yeah. so I don't, I, I, I don't really see that being an, an issue. Um, and we, it's funny, we, it was kind of a trick from the floor from the wing that's against the Mike law amendment. And I don't want to go too far down a rabbit trail here, but they, they offered an amendment from the floor to amend the Baptist faith and message itself and change it to pastor, elder, overseer has to be man, so, a man. So I feel like we've kind of mm-hmm. covered that, like the office, mm-hmm. pastor, elder, overseer. And so I think that if they're occupying the function without the title, I think we could still adjudicate that, but I think that'd be okay. really rare. Yeah. Okay. So so things are getting heated up again. Has anything happened recently? Because, um, you know, like Andrew and I were talking beforehand. It's a funny week to do this because he and I have been like traveling and super busy. So we haven't been paying attention. But the reason I asked you on is it seems like things are getting heated up and that there are several conversations um, or events or news, you know, uh, headlines about um, about this. So are things are things changing at all? Are things getting heated up? Are, do you, are you able to anticipate where this is all going and, and what's what's the reading of the room? Yeah, so we're four, a little over four months out to the convention. So things are starting to tick up. And also what's making things newsworthy is we've had a couple of people who have announced that they're running for mm-hmm. president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So one okay. individual is uh, Pastor Clint Presley uh, out of Charlotte, North Carolina, Hickory Grove Baptist. Another guy is a guy named Mike Keybone. He's in Oklahoma. And so we've got two candidates. So that's catching news. Are they conservative? We have, Are they conservative? Do you know? Yeah. So uh, Mike... Uh, Mike Keybone does not support the law amendment, plain and simple. Oh, okay. Now he and he has been deeply involved in all the sexual abuse reform issues in the Southern Baptist Convention, and that's something else that continues to to catch a lot of news. Uh, Clint Presley uh, does support the law amendment. He signed a letter uh, that Mike Law led last year to rally pastors. It got almost three thousand signatures and sort of made the issue you know, unavoidable. The, the mm-hmm. powers that be could not ignore it with the work and the support that Mike Mike put in and got. And so Clint says he supports it. So that's a clear divide right there between them as it stands today. Mm. Andrew, you had a question there, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess um, I kind of want to go back to the, um, the previous presidents and the current one who also uh, donated to 
the opponent of our friend uh, Dusty Devers. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bar- Barber, uh, even though he doesn't live like in the district, it's weird. Uh, but uh, um, I, I guess my, my question is like, how much, uh, how much sway do those men have over? You know, how, how many messengers do you guys have at, at a convention? Like, uh, you know, a few th- like ten thousand or how, how how many people? Uh, and yeah, how many, that... yeah. How how much sway do they have over? Like, well, how many people are like, oh, Ed Litton said this. Well, I'm going to do that. Or JD Greer said this. I'm going to listen to him. Uh, yeah, it's that's a good question. So the way I scope out the factions in Baptist life, uh, and I'll try to do this in an objective fashion without necessarily, um, you know, like. Uh, subjectively judging them as I see about three main camps in Baptist okay. life, but I will use personalities that I help mark them. Okay. Okay. So there is the JD Greer, Ed Litton, Danny Aiken wing mm-hmm. of the Southern Baptist convention. Uh, these guys are, I, I call them the, the big tent guys. They're the ones who they, they say mission matters most. We're all about just spreading the gospel um, you know, they might sometimes talk about things like cheerful confessionalism, but the emphasis on the cheerful and not the confessionalism. <laughs> and these guys, uh, they they're the ones that I think really uh, un- like own this idea that the quote unquote world is watching this. So mm-hmm. I would argue that that camp has a, a disposition that I think can actually be objectively proven through their writings that mm-hmm. what they care a lot about is op eds in The New York Times op-eds from the Atlantic, the Houston Chronicle reports and things like that. And so, you know, they, and they actually very explicitly do not want a reversion to what they would call fundamentalism. So Tim Keller, Tim Keller wrote sort of, um, and these guys are very influenced by Keller and Keller's Mm -hmm. model, right? So Keller wrote about the future of evangelicalism and sort of numbered it one, two, three, and four, where you had, uh, I think one would be like fundamentalists, Two would be uh, complementarian evangelicals. Three would be egalitarian evangelicals. And then four would essentially be like ex-evangelicals. Mm-hmm. And Keller argued that the future of evangelicalism in America is two and threes working together and keeping the ones and fours out. But that of is, that that's, of course. I mean, that's, that's so funny. Like we talk a lot about politics and strategy and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the center, the liberal center, keeping the extremities away from influence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just interesting to see how often this model shows up, uh, not only in political life but in religious politics as well. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of, and we we could you could have me back on, and we could talk about the politics of the SBC. So that camp that that camp I think is is in that model where they want a future where the twos and threes, complementarian, egalitarian, and evangelicals work together. They were shocked and horrified by Donald Trump. They took their you know, marching orders and talking points from Russell Moore. Like they still think like Russell Moore is a great guy. And somehow we did him like really dirty or something. Uh, so that's that, that's that camp. Then the second camp I would call him the, like the Albert Moeller nine marks uh, Louisville centered, like conservatives. Right. Mm-hmm. And so these are guys who I think have stronger convictions on paper. Um, but I would say with the, with the rise of wokeness, a lot of folks in that bucket sort of gave in on some things, particularly on racial stuff, not so much on egalitarianism, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then moving on to the other camp, you have the Conservative Baptist Network, which was launched a few years back. They backed this guy named Mike Stone, who ran um, he ran for SBC president in 2021 in Nashville. There's a long way around of answering how many folks yeah. are in the room. Oh, this is fascinating. Um, yeah, yeah, and, no, keep and going. So, yeah. so Conservative Baptist Network, you can think of them like the good old boys. And then yeah. underlying all of this is still a, somewhat of a divide between Calvinists and non-Calvinists in the SBC. Mm-hmm. So that second camp is definitely more Calvinistic than the third camp I mentioned, the Conservative Baptist Network camp. The first camp is also Calvinistic too, but... You know, that's mm-hmm. like they're like gospel coalition Calvinists, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you've got essentially gospel coalition versus nine marks versus conservative Baptist network in the Southern Baptist Convention. So in terms of numbers, I would suggest that the vast majority of the base of Southern Baptists are far more in the conservative Baptist network camp, you know. Mm-hmm. But then in terms of who comes to the convention, well, the entities uh, like the North American Mission Board and the International Missions Board and all the seminaries and Lifeway and the ERLC, you know, they help get their people to the convention. Yeah. So they have this mm-hmm. built in turnout advantage that skews yeah. to that third most liberal side of the Southern Baptist Convention. I've, I've run the numbers, you know, on average, our, our attendance over the last 
seven, eight years has been something about 12,000. Um, mm-hmm. So it, we had about 12,000 in New Orleans. We had 8,000 the year before in Anaheim, which is a terrible location for Southern Baptists in Anaheim, California. <laughs> but but this everything I just spelled out for you, let me kind of wrap it up in a good example. We had 20,000 people come to Nashville in 2021. And what drove mm-hmm. that turnout? Well, a couple of things. One was we were still dealing with the fallout of passing this ridiculous resolution calling critical race theory an analytical tool, resolution number nine. And mm-hmm. that launched the documentary from Tom Askell, By What Standard? And mm-hmm. so the conservatives were kind of waking up to what I've been calling the fact that there's a liberal resurgence happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm. So they turned out for that. But then you had the threes really turning out because of the Houston Chronicles report and the mm-hmm. allegations of this you know, widespread, decades-long sexual abuse issues in the Southern Baptist Convention. And so we had 20,000 people there, and that gave us the candidates of Stone, Moeller, and Litton. And then it, the second ballot was Stone and Litton, and then Litton won. And then three days later, we found out he's just a big plagiarist who, you know, knocks off J.D. Greer's sermons and stories. Um, right. <laughs> and yeah, so I was then he ask was, earlier about that. Yeah, he yeah. was a one-term <laughs> president. So here's here's my contention, man. I think that if we can get if we can get numbers pushing like 16,000 in Indy, which is a climb, but uh, I think we can win the room. Um, these guys, they have they have some influence, but the Mike Law Amendment did pass by about 80 percent last year. Okay. Right. So they right. got they got they got to pick off a lot of people or they got to bring a lot more, which that gets into my, uh, why is this guy Mike Keybone running with his location from the the most sort of aggressive, to use that word, sexual abuse reform mm-hmm. crew is maybe mm-hmm. to drive numbers out for, <clears throat> for that agenda. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's sort of like um, like Democrats when they make. When they make the issue about abortion, uh, that that drives you know voter turnout, um, mm-hmm. you know similar similar along those lines. Um, and I mean, I, I think so. Like just even like the location, really of of each um, meeting, <coughs> the, the SBC. Yeah, it's pol- really political. Matters. Yeah. Political, yeah. Like yeah. Indiana, it's in Indianapolis this year. You said. Yeah, it's in Indianapolis. It's interesting. That's, so an that's okay. Good. It's an okay location. It's really funny when you look at the density of Southern Baptists around the country. They are where you would expect them to be. Okay, yeah. so essentially, yeah. as soon as you go, as soon as you go north past uh, Kentucky, the numbers fall from like thousands of Baptist churches to hundreds of Baptist churches. Mm-hmm. Right. So Indiana has about four hundred Baptist churches. Ohio mm-hmm. has less than four hundred Baptist churches. There, Missouri is uh, an outlier. Missouri's got about like two thousand, but then you get into Can- Kansas, and it's got like. 200 the mm-hmm. whole western region of the united states like not even a, like you know hardly worth like recruiting people out there though if you're out there and you're conservative please come you know uh the two biggest density locations are texas with about six thousand, and mm-hmm. north carolina with four thousand. florida georgia have thousands as well but if you if you look at if you sort of run a, and i've done this if you s- sort of do uh you know 300 kilometers out in a circle from around indianapolis you pick up a lot of good Southern Baptist strongholds. So I'm hoping people make the drive. You can make that drive in a day and you need to do it and show up. What's, uh, uh, let, let me just ask this because I'm, yeah. I'm from California. Um, yeah. And I, I, mean, I mean, obviously, I mean, the big thing out here, like there's a lot of mega churches that are unaffiliated. There's a lot of um, like Calvary Chapel, although those are dying off. But are there, I mean, obviously Saddleback, but is there any other like big SBC stuff out here? Well, California is about a thousand uh, SBC churches. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's a bigger stronghold. Mm-hmm. It also has a seminary, uh, Gateway Seminary right, is out right. there, and that's at one of the six Southern Baptist seminaries. So, yeah, there's some, but out there, I'd say a lot of them are probably more into the seeker sensitive model um, of churches. But there's definitely some good guys out there. I hope they show up. Uh, when I was at Founders Conference, I met a guy from Alaska, uh, Alaska Southern Baptist pastor, and he came to New Orleans with his team to vote for the law amendment and he's coming back to Indianapolis. Cool. So if he can do it, my brothers in the 48 contiguous United <laughs> States of America, you have no excuse. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I guess one, one of my questions is, you know, you, you mentioned how they have their own kind of ballot harvesting operation among the, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, with Lifeway and ERLC and all the various you know, bureaucratic uh, arms of the Southern Baptist convention where they can just take the, you know, cooperative money and pay to, you know, take people there and get more, more votes. Yeah. Um, is there, is there any effort to, you know, ban that practice where it's like, no, you got to pay your own way. Uh, you know, just like every, just, just like the pastor from 
a 70 person church in, you know, rural Kentucky or something, you've got to, you've got to pay for yourself. Um, yeah, there's been some conversations about making sure that entities aren't directly spending entity allocated funds to get people there. But here's where the kicker is, and it'd be almost impossible to get at this without like a major change to the mm-hmm. system, which is that the North American Mission Board, you know, pro- provides financial support to their church planters. And mm-hmm. so that money just mm-hmm. goes into the general church, you know, planting bucket, and then mm-hmm. they can draw from that to come to the convention. And, and I'll be honest, guys, like, uh, you know, NAM is um, a little bit like the mafia in the SBC. They have a ton of money and they uh, do not broach criticism. And if you mm-hmm. criticize them, then they will turn the spigot off. And that will that'll leave a lot of guys high and dry, particularly these church planners who are dependent upon that NAM money to become Mm -hmm. solvent. But this is this is a structural issue that's multiple years down the line here, which is that NAM is one fundamentally planning uh, a lot of hardly Baptist churches, barely Baptist churches, not SBC Mm -hmm. churches, but barely Baptist churches. And they're often, you know, they often kind of downplay their Baptist commitments. But then the ones that do become financially solvent and can stand on their own two feet and don't need as much support from NAM, a lot of them then turn around and realize like, you know what, I don't really want to be associated with the Southern Baptist Convention. So I'm out. The most notable example of this, and I want your listeners to hear this, was a guy, John Onwacheka, who uh, planted a NAM church plant in the Atlanta area, got $200,000 from NAM, uh, I think, for a building loan. Like, like They were helping him get a building. And a year later, he turned around and wrote a letter calling us all a bunch of racists and left. (laughs) So so how many small struggling churches in the Rust Belt, in Appalachia in the South, which is our historical stronghold, aren't getting treatment like that. So many. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I like about all this is the law amendment was sort of an initiative by conservatives. And usually like in every er other area of like our institutions, um, conservatives are always playing the defensive. I mean, mm-hmm. this is one of the rare examples of conservatives on the opposition uh, on the uh, on sorry offense. on the on the offense, yeah. um, and that's really cool to see. I mean, do you do you do you feel like in the SBC people realize they need more of this? Like, there's momentum here. Yeah, that's man, more of this. That's an interesting question, right? Because, I mean, I mean, because obviously, like the homosexual marriage thing is going to become it's it's already exploding with like Alistair Begg, you mm-hmm. know, giving his opinions on that. This is going to be an SBC issue in a, a soon any t- any day now. Yeah, well, that, that's right. I mean, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention needs to wake up to the fact that we have generational fights in front of us mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that we can't just sleep through them or we're going to wake up one day and we're going to look just like, you know, the PCUSA. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's taken some guys a while to wake up to that. But I think the law amendment is a good sort of training exercise for other right. anthropological issues and current mm-hmm. pressing theological fights we're going to have to have. But you're right. It is offensive. And it, w- it was a big uh, it was a big win. I mean, coming out of New Orleans, man, it was it was euphoric. <clears throat> it was great to mm-hmm. score a win for the conservatives. And I think there's nothing more important than passing it again to give conservatives a sense that they can reclaim this institution. So I know you guys think about this issue a lot, which is sort of like institutional efforts in America, right. and the degradation of our institutions. And, you know, I know CJ, you're just, you're just waiting to leave our country as soon as you can, but uh, you know, like, <laughs> I, I'd I, love to, I'd love to leave California and enter your country. Yeah. 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 So, but I, the Southern Baptist convention is uniquely strategic in the fact that the mechanisms that exist can still be um, deployed and won with, by conservatives, but it really does depend on getting the votes there to do it. You know, so it can be done. It's not too far gone, but we need people to to join the fight and make it happen. Yeah, that's cool. I, I love that. Um, I'm also, I guess, my last question here, and I don't want to take too much of your time. We're we're buttoning up at the end of our hour, anyways. Um, what about non-Baptists, Presbyterians? What can they do to encourage or or offer, you know, uh, you know, any sort of support, you know, uh, to to Baptists who can actually make a difference and keep this train moving? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the I'll mention a very specific fun thing, you know, Helen Andrews is the editor at the American Conservative, and she asked me to write up a piece on the convention last year. And she's she's uh, Eastern Orthodox, you know, she doesn't have a she doesn't have a dog in the SBC fight necessarily, but uh, she recognizes the critical importance of it to America. She recognizes America's Protestant heritage, that we need to be a renewed Protestant 
country and and how the Southern Baptist Convention needs to play a role in that. So, um, one, you guys could stop uh, saying that Baptists aren't reformed. That would help. Um, <laughs> no, not uh, us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. Well, actually, and, and to be clear, if there are uh, there are non-reformed <laughs> Baptists listening to this, I, I you know, I, I recognize your position and welcome you as brothers. Um, so then, uh, you know, honestly, just getting the message out. So thanks for having me on. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, you know, uh, you could do some like critical analysis of it if you guys want to to write on it. Uh, you know, money. <laughs> you know, so like money is money is helpful. One of the things that I'm working with people to try to do is to raise a fund to supply scholarships for conservative messengers, right? Mm. For the, for that pastor, you know, because this is what's happening in a lot of churches is that they, you know, say they get four messengers, every church gets a minimum of two, maximum of 12. Say they get four and in their budget, all they can really do is, is afford to send the pastor. That's three more votes. So that mm. means three people in that congregation who are probably blue collar workers, but have to take time off and, you know, not get paid for it and then spend money on travel and lodging. And so we want to be able to help supplement those costs, you know, for them as a worthy cause. So if some, you know, mega donor manages to listen to this, you know, we got a lot out. of millionaires. We got a lot of billionaires listening to the show. So uh, get out your checkbooks. This is a worthy cause. Yeah. Uh, right after you subscribe to our Patreon, then you can. There we go. The right. yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, William, uh, we really appreciate your time here. Uh, you're fighting the good fight. I love to see the momentum and the energy and the wins. You know, keep them coming. So we're praying for you guys. But uh, that's. I think that's all we have for for today. Andrew, I think got some visitors in his room. So. Oh, you you heard that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the kids yeah. are back from the pool. I'm at the hotel on the way back from vacation. So I, yeah. I was like, this is CJ's. Like, oh, I could do this one with uh, just William. And I'm like, no, no. I, this is important. I really want to be here for this so yeah uh thank you so much william for coming on we'd we'd love especially as it gets closer to june um you know have you on again maybe have a, a special you know episode even maybe during during it i mean i'm sure you'll be extremely busy but uh this is this is extremely crucial issue for you know, not not it's just that, the it sets FBC. the tone it really sets the tone for the next few years well yeah even just last year i mean the the shockwaves from it <clears throat> went throughout all of american you know christianity and, mm -hmm. and, and people, people noticed it and it, it boosted everyone, you know, uh, everyone fighting the similar kinds of fights everywhere else. So I can see why Helen Andrews too, uh, yeah. they're, they're fighting the same things in the EO. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. Can I, so, I'm going to, I'm going to use a super cringe superhero analogy, but I'm just going to do it. Cause, cause you said <laughs> shockwaves and it made me think of this. Um, in, uh, in Superman and Batman, Dawn of justice, whatever it's called, Superman dies. Right. And when Superman <laughs> dies, he like screams and like this shockwave goes out and that like wakes up like all the dark side bad guys. And mm -hmm. so then they come and invade. And so here's here's what happens. If we fail to hold the line on women pastors, it is going to send this shockwave and all the LGBT baddies and everybody else are going to say, all right, the SBC is up for grabs, which right. actually this is a serious point I want to make is already happening. You know, as you guys have seen with the after party. And, and other organized political efforts. And I've said this about the SBC before, which is that we are the target of bad political actors using bad mm -hmm. political money with nefarious motives of subverting, fracturing, or destroying the Southern Baptist Convention because right. they don't like our theology, but because they recognize how critical we are for conservatism in America. And so we do need conservatives like yourself and others to wake up. So like we view what we're doing to be sort of an antidote to the after party for sure. At least that's cool. one piece of it. Love that. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you didn't go with Marvel. I mean, DC still, <laughs> but uh, that's good. Uh, well, uh, thank you everybody for for listening. Please uh, like and subscribe. I'm I'm being called away here in my hotel room. Uh, but uh, thank thank you all so much. Thank you, William, uh, for your time. We really really appreciate it. And and please everyone uh, boost this and send this out, not just for for our sake, but for for William and and all the men uh, fighting in the SBC for for good things. Thank yeah, you all. cool. Thank you guys. Thanks, guys.